Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, the sixth chapter of Ephesians. If you are using the Bibles there in the chairs in front of you, it's on page 816. We have been considering the book of Ephesians and really seeing that it is viewing the church through spiritual eyes. Initially, I had thought of going another direction for the emphasis for today, but uh, the passage we have come to in Ephesians chapter 6 really ties in with what we have been considering, what we're seeking to do in our academy, and the message that our children, our young people, our, our faculty and staff have presented for us this morning about the importance of taking the stand that we need to for the Lord. He was a a man that was actually known for his self-confidence and outspokenness. He came from a coastal community and from a blue-collar upbringing. He was rather rough, somewhat unstable. He knew what it was, though, to work hard. As a married adult, he was led to the Lord by a family member, a brother that first trusted in Christ. And after sensing the, the call of Christ on his life, his, his spiritual growth really seemed to take off. He jumped right into ministry opportunities that he had. He, he listened to God's Word as it was taught, and, and he wasn't afraid to ask questions. Even when other people might have hesitated to ask because of fear of what other people might think. He asked questions for clarification, for explanation, and and even some very specific pointed application. Because of this, he rose to leadership rather quickly. Others looked to him as kind of the spokesman, and he was the one who expressed opinions and concerns. Uh, he He would express their concerns publicly. He was even known to question the instruction and application of his highly respected mentor and teacher. And the teacher directed some very specific individual attention and help to him, more than any other student in his class. He wasn't afraid to publicly acknowledge when he was wrong. And I'm sure many of us, if we were to meet him personally, would be encouraged and by his testimony and actually admire him for his boldness, his energy, and his spirit. He was confident spiritually. He was quick to defend Christ. And so in some ways, his spiritual failure seems shocking. Well, some falls tend to be progressive, to happen over time, a a prolonged and calculated downward progression or spiral. That was not the case with this man. He went from the mountaintop of spirituality to a major spiritual crash, and it happened very quickly. In fact, it happened in one night. The details involved a young girl but not in the way you might be thinking. No, he he sat in the courtyard by a fire light, and a young girl looked at him and said, you were with Jesus, and he denied it. A short time later, another servant girl saw him and announced to those around, said, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And this time he swore an oath denying that he knew Jesus. And an hour later, Someone else insisted that he was a follower of Jesus. And again, he denied that he knew the Lord. And at that moment, 
the rooster crowed. Jesus, who just a few hours earlier had been arrested on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane, turned and looked at Simon Peter. And Peter went out and sobbed bitterly. I begin by recalling Peter's denial of the Lord for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's good to remind all of us that Christians can and do fall. That people who have had solid training, spiritual maturity, even good leadership can stumble and fall, that we must be on guard. And that when we fall, we aren't alone in that. There are others in that category. There's hope for restoration for those who fall. I think we could point to a number of aspects that contributed to Peter's fall. He, he received teacher, but he didn't, teaching, but he didn't understand it. He didn't listen to the warnings he was given that he needed to be watching and praying. He was tired. And the events and circumstances didn't go as he planned. And yet the Lord still worked through this event. But I think it's also important that we understand that if we're not careful, we can either excuse or condemn Peter based on our strengths or weaknesses. But there's a key aspect of this story that we must not miss. Listen to the warning that the Lord gave Peter in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. He said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Jesus was telling Peter, Satan wants to shake you severely. Have you ever felt shaken in your spiritual life? Have you ever felt like you came to that point and maybe there are circumstances, lack of sleep, you're under pressure, you're feeling stressed, maybe it's how somebody else treated you, but you feel like you're just being shaken. And there's a spiritual battle that is raging. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if he is your personal Savior, your faith places you in the battle. And this morning, we, we come to the final section of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, and it is that warning that we need to stand. If you have your Bibles open, follow with me. I'm going to begin reading in verse 10. We're going to read down through verse 20, though our text is the verses uh, 10 through 13 and really into the first part of verse 14 this morning. Beginning in chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in an evil day and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having, your, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it, 
I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we look into your word this morning, we pray that you would encourage our hearts and challenge our hearts that we would rest in you for strength. We pray that we would be victorious in the battle and understand that there is a spiritual battle raging for which we will do all to stand in your power and for your glory. Amen. Our text this morning begins with the word, finally. Now, Paul is not using that like some preachers that say finally, and that means it's still going to be a while. He's coming to the end of the book, but he's also emphasizing that this is what he has been building to, that the Holy Spirit has been directing Paul, this is God's word, to bring us to the realization that there is a battle that is raging. And understand that this really now is bringing us to the primary application for the letter to the church at Ephesus. That in that day and in a very pagan culture, With idolatry all around them, Paul is admonishing them, you need to now stand. There's a Chinese Christian church leader, teacher, author from the last century who divided Ephesians into three sections using the words sit, walk, and stand. I like his outline because I think it helps us in this. But the sit is God's work of redemption where he places us as believers. We are seated in heavenly places. That Christ is raised from the dead. Chapter 1 of Ephesians tells us this, that God raised him up and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. And then in chapter 2, verse 6, and raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places with Christ. So what we see is that God's work of redemption, that our heavenly position is secure. That God's work has proclaimed this, that it's a testimony of his grace, his rich mercy and kindness, and that we are on the winning side. And it's important that that foundation is clear, that we are, the battle has been won, even though we may not sense that right now. The practical section begins, is really chapters 4 through 6, and it's talking about the believer's walk. That's what our young people have sung about this morning. That's the theme for Tri-City Christian Academy for this year, that, that each month we're looking at a different aspect of walking. And, and so it begins, walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. That's, that's the beginning of chapter 4, the practical application of the three chapters of doctrine. And understanding this, that as believers, we're to, to live in a manner that is worthy of our relationship that we have as Christians that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And so recognizing that, and there are various aspects of that. Our our theme for our academy, we've covered the walk of faith, the walk of love, the walk in truth. This month is walking in integrity and, and understanding that. But what we find in the flow of Ephesians 4 and following is there's a walk in unity, not in discord. That's chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Walk in holiness rather than wickedness. That takes us through the end of chapter 4. Walk in love, not in lust. That's chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. The walk in light rather than in darkness. And and we see how our world loves darkness rather than light. There are garments that people wear if they want to do things in the dark, if they want to get away with things. We're to walk in light. We're to put on the armor of light. We're to walk in wisdom. And, And we see that, that we're to be in wisdom, not in foolishness. Walk with wise people not as fools. 
And then we're to walk in the Spirit, not in selfish, sinful, fleshly lusts. The, the Spirit's control is evidenced in several things, and we've considered these. It's, it's seen in our speech. It's seen in a thankful spirit, and it's seen in submission. And then we consider how that submission shows up in our marriage, in our home, and in our workplace. And the concluding section then, it, we see at the end of verse 9, starting into verse 10 of, of chapter 6, is the focus on the practical aspect, not of our walk, but of our warfare. And that as believers, we are to stand. And that's the third word that we see, and that's what I want us to consider this morning. That Christians are to prepare for battle. Four times in these three verses, we have that statement, to stand. Having done all to stand, to withstand, therefore stand. That is a key word in this passage. See, the Christian life is not some kind of a walkathon where you get a bunch of students who get people to sign up and, and raise money and hang out with classmates and, and, and all it goes toward a school project. The Christian life, the Christian walk is on the battlefield, not on the playground. That by your faith, you have been placed into this battle. And I want us to consider this battle this morning, and, and really it provides a general synopsis for the believer's armor. I'm not planning to cover these individual pieces this morning, uh, not looking to do that in our morning services, but each one of these is very strategic, and it tells us something about our enemy, and it also points toward the gospel. But what I want us to see from this passage is that as Christians, you must actively prepare to stand in the spiritual battle. It's raging around us and around our children. That's why I appreciate so much a church that has a heart for children and young people. Because our world hates children. It wants to kill them in the womb. Many states voted this in this election to keep that going. And, and then it wants to destroy their minds. It go, it's going for their souls. So we have to understand this. This isn't just, there isn't some time, okay, you, you know, you get, a, you get in free until you reach a certain age in the spiritual war. No, Satan wants to destroy each one of us. And therefore, we have to understand this battle. The first thing that we see, though, is the strength is provided. And it's provided in several aspects. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. The first thing we see is we see it provided in the person of Christ. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in Jesus Christ. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one who initiates it. He's the one who completes it. We look to him. That our trust is in a person. It's, it's not, well, you just got to have faith, and it's faith in faith. No, it's faith in the finished work of Christ alone. And we hear a lot about faith today, but it's not about faith in Christ. Well, we're not going to be strong unless our faith is in the finished work of Christ and that He is our personal Savior. He didn't die so that we can earn our way to heaven, that he somehow opened the door and then we merits our, our own favor with God. No, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's according to his mercy he saved us. We saw that back in chapter 2. And recognizing this, that we need to trust the one who won the war. It is finished, was the cry from the cross. The victory is won. Now, we say, well, I don't feel like that. Yes, because we're still in a battle, but we're on the winning side. So in that battle, not only do we put our trust in the person of Christ, we need the power 
of his resources. And that's the second thing we see. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This is the resurrection power. If you want to look back to chapter 1, I I alluded to these verses, but look at chapter 1, verse 19. Notice, as as it's speaking of what God has done in raising Christ, it's that, that exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, verse 20, with which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And when we considered this passage many months ago, we saw there are actually six different words in verse 19 speaking of the power of God. That he's, he's working his mighty power. That, that mega is the Greek word dunamis, dynamic is the word. So that is his dynamic power, his mighty powers. But then it's preceded with the word exceeding, hyper. You know, it's hyper mega dunamis. Are the words that are being brought out there that that Paul is saying that it's beyond being this this tremendous mega power. It's exceedingly beyond that. And then he uses the word working that speaks of the energizing power, the the strengthening power, that he's he's controlling power. And so what we see is that his hyper-mega-dynamic energy is strong enough to control and strengthen each one of us. So why am I defeated? Well, that power is at work within our church. That's, that's as the body of believers. That's what God is seeking to do. In chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly be above all that we can ask or even think according to the power that works within us. And so in, in Philippians 3, Paul writes and says, That I may know him, the power of his resurrection. What kind of power does it take to raise the dead? That's the power that's available to us to live. Because we were dead in trespasses and sin. When you've trusted Christ, we're alive. So walk worthy of that calling. So how do I avail myself of that power? And that's the third thing that we see. It's in the provision of his armor. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor, the panoply is the Greek word there. We sang of the panoply of God. That's a Greek word that means all the armor. And that we're to put that on. And so verses 14 through 16 give the specific pieces of equipment that God has given us for battle. And then verses 18 through 20 talk about the empowerment that comes as we pray. And each piece of armor is instructive. It tells us something about our enemy. We need the belt of truth because our adversary is a liar. We need the breastplate of righteousness to cover our our vital organs because our enemy is an evil, wicked person. And God provides the resources. But we have an obligation to put on the armor. And we need to do that because the second thing we see in this passage is we have an enemy. There is a battle raging. It says that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. And then it goes on and say, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. In Peter's first letter, the first letter that he writes, he says this in, in chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, self-controlled. Be vigilant, watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 
Do you think Peter remembered his denial when he wrote those words? He had told the Lord when the Lord said, you're going to deny me. He said, well, these other guys may deny you, but not me. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure about them, but I will never deny you. I will die with you. And then he denies three times. And I can't help but imagine Paul, as, as Peter is writing those words, be sober, be vigilant, be watchful. Your adversary is like a roaring lion. He's, watch, he's walking around looking for opportunity. Jesus had warned Peter that Satan wanted to shake him. He's going to grab you and shake you. And, and then the Lord said to him, and I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you have returned, you will strengthen the brethren. And so he writes, warning, strengthening us. But Satan has schemes. He's been at this for a long time. And there are a number of ways that Satan tries to cause us to fall. There are a number of tactics. And I, I just want to very quickly bullet point through some of these for us this morning that we will be on guard. The first one is deception. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. He, he convinced Eve in the Garden of Eden that what God said wasn't really true. In fact, when you read in, in Genesis 3, you find that Eve went from quoting God's word to questioning God's word in one conversation with the serpent. John 8.44 says, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you will do. There's no truth in him. He was a liar from the beginning. That's why we need the belt of truth the truth of God's word, and that we are truthful people. Because if you're not truthful, then you're behaving like the devil. And you need, need to add, ask yourself, who's, who's your spiritual father? Because Jesus was a, addressing religious people in John eight forty four and said, you are of your father the devil, and you're behaving like him. He was a liar from the beginning. Sometimes it's self-deception. We deceive ourselves to, to say, well, God's word doesn't really say what it says. Or, well, it says that, but it doesn't apply to me. Or, I'm the exception and I don't really need to change. See, worldly wisdom is not the way to walk. Biblical wisdom discerns God's thoughts and ways from all others. Do, do you walk with the wise? Do you have friends who help you in that? Or do they really reinforce what the world says? This is one of the, the reasons that I am so in favor of a Christian school. My wife and I went through public school from kindergarten through 12th grade. I've been there. We homeschooled for several years. We have a Christian school. But we need to understand there is a battle for the souls of our kids. And what our world is teaching is not God's wisdom. It's not going to teach them to walk with the wise. So we, we don't want them to be deceived. Don't believe the lie. The second one is distance. Satan loves to separate a person from God. So when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They hid. They covered up, they hid because of their sin. Satan wants to put distance between you and God, between you and God's counsel, between you and God's people. He wants you to keep, keep you away from the people of the Lord, and if he want, can't do that, he'll distract you in the preaching of God's Word. And one of the dangers of a Christian school is we don't want to inoculate our children that they get just enough spirituality to be able to resist it. And neither do we want them to think that school is required and church is optional. God's plan for this age is the local church. And we can't lose sight of that. That's why I said at the beginning, I believe it's the parents' responsibility to raise their children for God. 
The church is here to help parents. Our school helps us as a church help parents. But the obligation is to the parents, and God's plan for this age is the, the church. Therefore, we can't teach our kids that somehow school is required, but church is an option. Because understand, Satan doesn't want you to be in a place where God's people can speak into your life. Satan wants us isolated. He wants us alone. And what happens when a person falls into sin? Do they feel like, you know, I want to go to church today? No, just the opposite. Oh, I don't, you know, my life isn't working. Once I get, I, I'll turn over a new leaf. Satan wants us to be isolated. He's going to appeal to your pride to keep you from having close relationships with people who can speak into your life spiritually. Do you have friends like that? That's what our adult Bible fellowships are for, our care and shares, to provide those small group settings where others can encourage you and you can encourage them. Because we live in a wicked world. And the third one is defilement. We need the breastplate of righteousness because we are in a wicked world. You don't have to look very far to see that. Our culture, the things that are, the, that are going on, and, and one of the values of a Christian school is we try to protect our kids, but I'll tell you, I am saddened with some of the things our kids know that they shouldn't. We want them to be simple concerning evil and wise concerning good. And it's difficult to do that in this day and age with electronics and the media and all of that. But parents, you have to be guarding in your home. And understand, God does not look lightly on sin. It says in Romans 1.32, after listing a plethora of all unrighteousness, including disobedience to parents, undiscerning, unloving, untrustworthy, unmerciful, it says, and knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only the, the same, but also those who approve of the practice of them. If you sympathize with sin, you're not standing for Christ. We have to stand with Christ. He died for that sin. A fourth one is division. We must guard the unity of the Spirit. The, and we saw that in the beginning of chapter 4. The stress there is that we are to edify one another and, and that we're striving to come to the unity of the faith as we grow in the knowledge of Christ. And so Romans 16, 17 says, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine you've learned and avoid them because Satan is a divider. Fifth one is dissatisfaction. The sin of Satan was a prideful dissatisfaction with what God had done. And so in Isaiah 14, verse 13, there's the five I wills of Satan, that, of Lucifer and his fall. He said, I, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt myself. I will, I will sit in the high places. I, I will ascend above the throne of God and I will be like the Most High. Satan wanted to call the shots in his life. By saying, I will be like the Most High, he's, he's acknowledging he's not the Most High. He can never be the most high, but he can try to call the shots. And when we say, I'm in charge of my life, I'm going to be the one in control. I'm going to control me and others. We're, we're taking this, the attitude and posture of Satan. Proud people want to be in control. They, they tend to see God as unfair and unjust. They, they lack gratitude because they're very critical and discontent. The Bible says, do all things without griping and complaining. Complaining is one of the characteristics of a prideful person. And God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. 
The reason we, as we talked about the ordination last week and read the passage in, in Timothy, it says, not a novice lest being lifted up with pride. He falls into the condemnation of the devil. That prideful attitude, and it's so subtle, but God resists the proud. Satan would love to distract. That we need to give our children, and this is the sixth thing, that the distractions that come, and we live in a world that distracts. Do, do our kids have a vision for the glory of God? Do they sense that in us? What is it that excites us? And do, we, do we delight in seeing the glory of God? Because if we don't bow before the glory of God, we're going to bow someplace. Everybody bows down somewhere. And Satan would love to use the gifts of God to get a person's attention away from God. Even good things. Parents, we have to be on guard to protect our children. You know, there's so much distraction in our day and age. And, and you have to actively teach your children to love and serve the Lord. Their, their soul is at stake. Their souls are eternal. You know, what is it that distracts them from spiritual things? Video games, television, computer programs, phones. How do kids afford all of those things? Oh yeah, parents buy them. Well, if you're giving them the, the tools, then you need to control them. Don't bring unwanted guests into your house and be frustrated that you can't evict them. Somebody, somebody needs to be the adult. And we considered that in the parenting, but again, the souls of our kids are at stake. A seventh one is death. Don't think that Satan somehow has a, has a, a concern and a compassion and a, a love for those that, that he's trying to use. Satan is a murderer from the beginning. John 8.44, the verse that tells us Satan is a liar, states that he was a murderer from the beginning. He wants to bring death. And we see in our culture the increase of suicide, of hopelessness. How much of our pop culture message today in movies and music and video games presents death, despair, and destruction. Where do you think that comes from? Satan wants to destroy the soul. And understand, it's not just what's out there, the problem is what's in here. So just having a Christian school isn't enough because the battle is within us. We all have enough wickedness within us that if God wants to judge us, he, he just has to let us go our own way. When we, when we studied Ephesians 2, the first four verses, it tells us there's a struggle in the lusts of the flesh and of the mind. So we have a battle within. And so yes, our kids are cute, and I enjoy watching them, but understand, there's a battle for their soul. And if you doubt human depravity, just work in the nursery one Sunday. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be a believer. We can put you in help. You can be a teacher's aide for a day. <laughs> But we're dealing with spiritual battles. It's not a battle against flesh and blood. There is a spiritual war raging. And what we need to understand is who is teaching our children? Because whoever teaches our children disciples our children. Luke 6 verse 40 says, A disciple is not above the teacher, and everyone that is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Folks, this is why... I am concerned for our kids, for your kids, for my grandkids. We want to know who's speaking into their lives. Vodi Bakum made the comment, if you send your children to Caesar to be educated, you should not be surprised when they come back Romans. We have to be on guard. 
and recognize they're, they're, we have an enemy. And recognizing as well that the battle is spiritual. That's the third thing I want us to consider from this passage this morning. That there is a spiritual battle raging. God is spirit. Satan is spirit. The demons and angels are spirits. And we as humans are spirits held, that, that are ho- housed in bodies of flesh. You know, we tend to think of ourselves as physical with a spiritual component. We are spiritual with a physical component. Because when our body dies, our spirit still lives. And we enter our final eternal home when we die. That death is not the end, it's the door to our eternity. And that's why we have to prepare here to spend eternity with Christ. That 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 doesn't happen after death. And therefore, that's why we give the gospel. Because it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. We're made in the image of God. God breathed into Adam. When he put the dirt together, brought together the dust, he breathed in the breath of life. That spiritual essence. And the spirit is the essence of something. Now, I I stress this because non-believers don't put any stock in this. They ridicule the idea of the spirit realm. Or maybe they look at it as some great science fiction story. But the Bible tells us that our battle is against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. To the unsaved, that just doesn't make sense. And and I'm not trying to take us where everything is a spiritual problem because there's also a flesh problem. But we do need to realize there is a battle that is raging. And so why is it that five states would vote for the, to not defend the least defensible, the preborn? Why would Montana vote against requiring medical help for an infant that's born alive? Because there is a spiritual battle, and Satan is a murderer. And he wants to bring death. And so we need to understand that battle. That's why we're called to be strong. Now, there are, there are four Greek verbs that are listed in this passage. These verbs are present passive imperatives. And I tell you that because it's important. The present means God's strength is currently available to you. The passive means that God supplies it what is needed to make you strong. It doesn't come from us. We receive it from God. The imperative is that it's not an option to take it. We're to be strong in the Lord. And I want us to see that very briefly this morning, that these four, the first one is we need to get ready. Be strong in the Lord. That be strong there is is to be effective in the Christian life, you have to prepare. When you go to war, you need to have the great power behind you. We don't want to go with equal forces, and we're on the winning side, so we need the power that's available. What God calls you to do, Christ enables you to do. And so we need to be in his word. We need to be putting on that armor. And the second one is we need to get dressed. Put on the whole armor of God. The Lord has provided the weapons we need, so use them. Don't leave them in your spiritual closet and and then wonder why if you're not wearing your spiritual coat, you get cold when you go outside. You will get cold spiritually if you're not putting on the armor that is provided. If we don't think biblically, we're not going to fight effectively. That's why we're, we're reading through 
Psalm 119, the longest psalm, the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's all about the Word of God. Because if we're going to think biblically, we have to know God's Word. We have to read the Bible. We have to study the Bible. We have to meditate upon the Bible. We need to memorize the Bible, hide God's Word in our heart. We need to pray the Bible. And if we do that, then we will think God's thoughts. Then we will be equipped to know the mind of Christ. But when somebody is defeated in their spiritual life, there is some aspect of truth that they're either not acknowledging or not accepting that brings defeat. Maybe it's simply, thou God seest me. He sees the website. He sees what you're looking at online. He hears how you talk to your spouse. He hears how you treat your children, how you behave in the workplace. But we need to understand that if we're defeated, there's an aspect of the truth that we're not applying because we're given the belt of truth and of truthfulness. And whatever is not of righteousness and light is not part of God's armor. So this is why we have to put it on. The, sec- the third one is we have to get prepared. It says put on the whole armor of God. And then it says in verse 13, take up the whole armor. Say, wait a minute, isn't that just saying the same thing over again? No, actually the idea here is now you need to exercise with the armor. Okay, you have the armor, now try it out. Use it. That's why we have to be in God's Word. That's why we need more than just Sunday. Are you in God's Word on Monday and Tuesday? I try to give you the the tools and help equip you, but you need to put on that whole armor, all of it, because of the nature of of our enemy. That the believer's armor is spoken of in gospel terms. That, that is a defense, and when we see that, that the gospel of, of peace, that our feet are shod with that, the shield of faith that quenches those darts of the wicked one, those thoughts, those ideas, where did that come from? Well, it's an attack. The helmet of salvation. What is the armor that you use in life? Do you know enough of the truth of God's word to recognize Satan's lies. Say, well, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. No, but you have God's Word. We are a blessed people today. We have God's Word in our language, in our hands, on our phones. We we can access it so easily. Do we do it? That we would know the Word of God. That we would walk by faith. That we would walk with the wise. And then the fourth thing that we see here is that we would get engaged. Stand, therefore. And after all of this, the the call to stand is the vital application of Ephesians. Finally. If we're going to walk worthy of our calling, we have to understand it's not on the playground. Now, sometimes the playground is a battlefield. (laughs) So we have it there too. But we are in a spiritual war. The key word to this section is stand. Having done all to stand, withstand. Don't quit. Don't give up. Man, I feel defeated. Remember Peter. He he thought he would never fall. These other guys, maybe, not me. Three times he denied the Lord. And then he went out and sobbed. And the Lord restored him three times. And you see, he then goes on and fulfills what Jesus had warned him about. Peter, Satan wants to shake you. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling shaken spiritually. You're not strong enough to stand in your own power. To use the arm of flesh in a spiritual battle is not only foolish, we're going to fail. So put on the whole armor of God and get engaged. Don't quit. Salvation takes a person from the kingdom of darkness and it places us into the kingdom of light. Therefore, put on the armor of light and walk as children of light. Folks, the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, which side are you on? The real question is not for us as believers, you know, which side will win? But the question is, will we stand? That's our responsibility. Will you stand? So, well, I think I'm pretty good. Are you spiritually stronger than Peter? Are you more godly than David? Smarter than Solomon? All of these men fell by the wiles of the devil. The Bible says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. It is foolish to fight spiritual battles in our own strength. We will fail. But we don't have to because we can put on the armor of God. We can be strong in the Lord, in His resources, and with the equipment that He has given us. How do I do that? That I daily ponder and practice biblical principles. You will be victorious as you consistently practice and ponder God's Word. Ponder and practice those principles. Know the Word. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Because as a Christian, you must actively prepare to stand in the spiritual battle. It's raging around us and around our children. And if you're not on the Lord's side, you can this morning because Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That's a call to salvation. If you haven't trusted Christ, we invite you to do so this morning. Let's pray together.